0: Hey, y'all, hope you all have had an amazing week so far. Your girl is struggling today. It is Tuesday, and I did an amazing interview with Brittany Taylor that you're going to hear later on in the podcast today. But I have been struggling because one of the topics that Brittany and I touched on was this notion of the angry black woman. And I am a huge sports watcher, okay? I watch pretty much everything. Okay, let me take that back. I don't watch everything. I watch basketball, which is my favorite sport. I watch football. Don't really watch the NFL anymore, but I do enjoy watching football. I watch tennis, I watched swimming, you know, I like to watch the whole gamut of the mainstream sports. So, on Saturday, I watched the match between Serena, Serena I can't talk today, and Naomi, and what went down in that match infuriated me, y'all. It infuriated me. Since I watched it in real time, I remember Certain points of the match is Serena's anger and frustration and disappointment and sadness. As I could see that rise up in her. And as she did her very best to choke back the tears that were welling up in her eyes and allowing the emotion that she was feeling. to, she kept trying to push it down. I felt my own anger and disappointment and sadness show up. In me, as I was watching her, because I know her struggle. I know what it's like to be considered an angry Black woman and want to do everything in your power not to fall into that stereotype, but understanding that no one ever allows us to be fully human beings as Black women. And if we do not live up to the status quo of whomever, picks this out for us and says, this is how we should react. This is how we should have emotions, whether that's people from another race or even our own people. If we get upset to a certain degree, we're too much. We're doing the most. We need to sit down somewhere. We need to shut up. We need to be quiet. We're making the white people uncomfortable. It's too much. It is just totally too much. And I saw that on Serena on Saturday, she just, she couldn't take it anymore. It was just overwhelming to her. The calls that she got, the fines that she received later on, it was just too much. And I think she just got to a point where she was like, you know what, I I, I just can't do it anymore. I cannot hold back how I feel any longer. And I have posted on my social media So if you're not following, get your life. You need to go do that. But I have posted on my social media. I have had numerous discussions with people who DM me based off of some of the things that I had posted. Some of my girlfriends and I have had discussions of how terribly difficult it is to be a human being as a black woman and not seen as too aggressive, too assertive, too angry always having to code switch, always having to defend every single little thing that we do, always trying to make sure that your tone doesn't go up too much or that you don't place yourself in a situation where you can be seen as an angry black woman. And it is exhausting. It is exhausting to have to be that person all the time in your personal life, in your work life especially. It is just plain right exhausting and we get tired and I'm tired and watching Serena on Saturday was just uh, a welcoming feeling in a way that she allowed herself to go there and to show her full range of emotions and although it cost her a lot in her press conference she made it known that this may not have worked out well for me but hopefully another black woman, another woman, period, coming after me will be able to benefit from me speaking out because not only was everything that happened on Saturday, in my opinion, racist, it was also very sexist. And I think that it is time for these things to change. But the hard thing about it is, and I was talking to one of my friends, it's like, what what do we do to change it? How do we change the narrative? Because are we, we're not really being ourselves when we hold our emotions back. We're just doing what we need to do to get along. We're just doing what we need to do to keep our jobs so we can put food on the table. You know, We're doing what we need to do to survive as Black people and as Black women. And so I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know how to combat the angry Black woman stereotype. Because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. If you don't play into it, you're suffocating. If you do act out, then there's so many consequences to being that person who shows a full range of emotion. And so that's a very great question to answer. And I don't know who has the answer as to how we combat being an angry black woman. But over the last few days, I have seen countless articles and people having this discussion about Serena, whether she was in the right, whether she was in the wrong, did she handle herself appropriately? But there's a few articles that I caught wind of and that I've read and a few blogs that I follow. And I just wanted to share that with you guys because Brittany and I, we dive into the conversation and we talk about the angry black woman. But for me, I want to make sure that if it's a topic that we need to talk about, that we just don't skim over it, that we just don't hit the surface of it. I want us to be able to dig deeper and have further conversation about it. And part of me is just needing to vent and to get this out of my system because it's been balled up in me for like three days. But the other part of me is to um, is wanting to invoke some conversation And for us to really start looking at this notion that's put on us that this is how we are and why it's so hard for us to show our emotions? Why is it so hard for us to be fully who we are? Why has society and even in our own culture made it so bad for black women to express how they feel? So it was a great article on the New York Times and the lady who wrote it is Dr. Tillett. I'll link it in the show notes. And she wrote a couple of paragraphs that I really thought could resonate with you guys because it resonated with me. And it says, I spent most of my adulthood running away from this cliche, opting to speak in measured tones when a white male colleague viciously spread false rumors about me or swallowing my voice when another colleague yelled at me in a faculty meeting. By doing so, I became a far more unrecognized statistic. Studies show that Black women are less likely than other groups to express anger in situations in which they are being treated unfairly. The mounting condemnation of Williams proves that the myth of the angry Black woman does not simply deny Black women the opportunity to express our full range of human emotions, including frustration it also serves as a double punishment when we speak out against those injustices aimed at other people in ourselves. Even as a child, I worried about the effects of the angry black woman stereotype. Okay, that was a mouthful. I hope that you can resonate with what she said in that. I want to dive deeper into this topic, but we're not going to do it today because I want to be able to get to the conversation that I had with Brittany, but very smart brother is another blog that I follow. And I think he kind of wrapped up how I was feeling as well. And something that he said, and so he said, and while Serena's status as an athlete is singular This sort of weight finds its home on Black shoulders, digging into necks and shoulder blades and skin like a squat bar. It robs us of stories. And it also has a way of making victories feel heavier than they're supposed to. The tears of Naomi Osaka shed Saturday afternoon weren't the tears of joy They were the weight of the controversy, the weight of playing and outplaying her idol and having racism and sexism join forces to cast clouds over her day. The weight of having to remind the people attempting to erase her heritage that she's black too. With all of that weight to think about, to process, to shift and to lift, even winning sometimes feels sour. Like, it's not even worth playing their game if this is what victory feels like. Y'all, it's just so much that we have to endure and deal with as black people, as women of color, as women. And I just hope that these things that are starting to happen in our lives. In our culture, the people that are speaking out, the people that are saying, you know what? I deserve to be treated better than this. You're going to apologize to me because you did not treat me fairly. I am no longer going to sit around and allow you to disrespect me, to accuse me of something that I have not done. It's just refreshing in some ways to see that we're stepping up and we're using our voices But it's also a constant reminder of how far we have to go and how far we need to push to become better, to become more vocal, to become more aware of our own emotions and how we handle things, the rooms we need to be in, the offices we need to be in, the people we need to be speaking to, the tables we need to be sitting at so our voices are heard, that we are no longer silenced that we can speak up and say, no more, you're not going to treat us like second-class citizens. No more are we going to have the number one tennis player in the world be disrespected to the extent that she has been disrespected from her hair, from her body type, from the constant drug challenges that she's had to go through. They're drug testing her when they're not necessarily drug testing other people. she got to wear a tutu now because her cat suit was too much for people. I mean, you know, at some point we have to say enough and we have to do the things that we need to do in order to make our presence known and in order to say that we should be treated fairly and that we should be treated with respect And that's what we are going to require of people around us. And so I know this is a little ranty, but I had to get it out my system because we're talking about some of that today. But I hope you guys can gain something from those articles that I shared with you. I am going to link those articles in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Feel free to hit me up in the Facebook group, DM me if you want to have a further conversation. If this is a topic you want to dive deeper into, I would love to obviously (laughs) have more of this discussion to get other people's perspectives on this and just dive deeper into ways that we can start to move past this. But on a happier note, I am super excited for you guys to listen to my conversation with Brittany. Brittany is someone that I met back in college and we've been cool ever since. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation with her. She has a master's in mental health counseling and she currently works as an addiction and mental health therapist. She was brought to the career by having her own positive experience with therapy, because we're really talking about therapy today and talking about some of the myths around therapy in the Black community. And her hope is to promote resilience, self-compassion, and the ability to let go of all things that hinder us as individuals. So I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Brittany Taylor. Here we go.
1: Miss Sister (laughs) Nomber.
0: Miss Systemics is a weekly podcast that focuses on the three E's educating, encouraging, and empowering listeners on how to live their best authentic life. I'm your host, Ashley Natrice, and let's start the show. Hey, Brittany. Hey. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. So tell the listeners a little bit about your story and your background.
1: One, I am very excited to be on your podcast too. Um, (laughs) So a little bit about myself. So I am a therapist. I deal with mental health and addiction. And I kind of stumbled across that profession during my own experience with therapy. Um I shared at the forgiveness brunch about my childhood trauma and, you know, dealing with a mother who didn't have a mother herself, so unsure um how to love me or show me how to love, which then by the time I got to college, led me to going to therapy, which absolutely changed my life, probably saved my life. Um, so now I just Look at my work as something is paying forward and um, something I truly enjoy. It doesn't feel like work to me. So that's how I got here.
0: So what was your experience like going to therapy in college and how did that really change or save your life?
1: For me, therapy was taboo so i was extremely anxious i think i had anxiety already but going into therapy um produced a lot of anxiety for me mm-hmm. and um even to this day at 30 none of my therapists have ever been black so that was a, a barrier that was in my head too um really? can they really understand yes none of my therapists are black even my current therapist is a white male so no <laughs> <laughs> i
0: think that is such an important piece to bring up. And I've chatted a little bit about this in other podcast episodes is that when I first started searching for a therapist, I had this like image in my mind of who a therapist for me would be. And it was a black woman. And so when I started out my search, that's who I started to look for. But I couldn't really find someone. um, I think I use like psychology today or I think that's a website that I use to search different therapists in the area, but no one really spoke to me. None of their profiles really seemed to hit on what I was looking for because I wanted a Christian therapist first. And then I wanted just to make sure that that person specialized in certain categories and topics before I decided to go with them. And so when I ran across my therapist profile, I thought to myself, she doesn't look anything like what I envision my therapist to look like. She's a right. middle aged white woman, you know. But I had my first consultation call with her. And from the moment that I spoke to her, I knew she was like speaking to my spirit. I knew she was my therapist. I hung up the phone with her and I said, she doesn't look like what I thought. But she is the person for me. And now I fast forward two years later and I could not be happier with my decision. So I totally can relate to how you felt so anxious going into having a therapist and then them not necessarily looking like you thought they were going to look.
1: Yes. And I think. Um, especially Black women, Black males too. I have a Black male friend, two of them that are therapists. But I think we're really starting to make a name for ourselves in the field. It's just going to take a little bit of time because we're all fairly new and not really I into gotcha. private practice yet. But Therapy for Black Girls is a good website too that it people is. can search, you know, licensed therapists in their area. But definitely some anxiety around not having a therapist that looked like me. But it hasn't caused any issues for me, surprisingly.
0: I haven't had any issues either. I actually think it has made, well, I don't want to say it's made my therapy experience better. But I want to say that it's given me different perspectives on things because she isn't from my culture. She doesn't quite know certain things that go on in the black community that I think we have ingrained in us that we just live it every day. So we don't quite think about it. So if I bring a certain topic or an issue to her, she makes me dive deeper into that because she's just not aware. So something I just skim over because it's just been life is usual for me all of my life. I don't really think about certain issues or certain things that come up in our culture She's like, okay, wait a minute, let's dive a little deeper into this. How does that really affect you? And so I'm not saying a black therapist wouldn't do that, but I just feel like she makes me a lot more aware of things that I just have come to learn to accept as the norm and realize that, okay, maybe that's not, that's not normal. Maybe that's not something that I should be accepting, you know?
1: Absolutely. That was also my experience when I first went to therapy in college. Um, just a tendency to blame and you know, I think in the black community we have this whole don't talk, don't trust, yes. don't feel yes mentality. And she really opened my eyes as to how that was hindering my growth mm-hmm. and it was keeping me in a very victimized state of mind. Cause I can't trust anybody. I can't talk to anybody about what's going on. Right. And she had me really weigh, what was the worst that could happen if I did share? And what is the worst that could happen if I don't, I don't reach out and not reaching out was a greater risk than reaching out for help.
0: Hmm. I know I had an experience with her and I had a conversation about how we have this notion that everything that happens in the house should stay in the house and Mm -hmm. how we have learned that behavior over time and how our elder women just culturally have taught us not to be very trustworthy of each other as Black women. And so, you know, it's this, she's your little friend, but, you know, watch out for her. Or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's always this background. Well, her mama used to do this. So you got to make sure that, you know, she ain't doing this. It's just this whole connotation that as black women, we can't really truly trust and feel safe with each other. And I think our great-grandparents pass that on to our grandparent and then a grandparent passed that on to the mother and the mother passes that on to us and they don't even realize that they're creating this narrative in us that we mm-hmm. cannot trust one another. And we have a tough time, I think sometimes, as Black women forming true, solid, real relationships with each other because we're always having an eye on that person, like, okay, when is she gonna show me her true colors or when is she gonna stab me in my back or is she truly my friend or is he or is she jealous of me?
1: And so Right. And that's why I think I loved your forgiveness brunch so much because, you know, I always say we are quick to forgive a significant other or a boyfriend when they say or do something um, that hurts us or offends us. But when it comes to our girlfriends, if they say something or do something that offends us, we're like, oh, mm-hmm. I knew she was going to turn uh-huh. on me and then we just yeah. cut them off and not giving people that human experience and understanding how important social support is being to being able to talk to someone or having that intimacy of friendship is so important to just the healing process, but we are taught not to trust and we are quick to cut people off. If they show us one instance where we were like, yo, I couldn't trust her Uh (laughs) instead of having a conversation.
0: Why do you think that is so hard for us to do? Why do you think we're in this, especially right now, I feel like we're in this culture of, Just cutting people off with no second
1: thought. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is what Mm. I see. The fear of being vulnerable because it's easier to be angry and to cut people off because you don't have to be vulnerable. But I always tell my clients the recipe for anger is fear, hurt and frustration. You're fearful of something. You're hurt Mm -hmm. about something and you're frustrated about something. So instead of going to that person and saying, hey, this hurt me or this made me feel like I couldn't trust you. You know, it made me fearful of where our friendship is going or it frustrated me that you did this. That requires vulnerability. It does. And And we feel like we don't have time for that. So it's easy to just say, oh, you know, I'll cut this person off when really you know, my biggest fear is if I keep acting like that is I'm going to look up and be 80 years old with just me and my cats because i do going cut everybody off <laughs> that have been me. <laughs>
0: yes. I think sometimes as women, we don't allow ourselves to think about our girlfriends in a way that allows them to be human beings, you know? Mm-hmm we get so accustomed to seeing them in one light. You know, maybe she's our fun friend and we just like to go out and have a good time with her. Or maybe, you know, this is our deep thinking friend and we're going to come to her for all of our issues and our problems. And we know she's going to give us sound advice back. But we get so stuck in seeing them in that space that if they show us anything different than what we're accustomed to, It throws us off so much and makes us so uncomfortable that we just feel like, oh, I can't I can't handle you in this space right here. Like, I need you to go back and be that person Mm -hmm. that I like. You know, I need you to go back and be the fun friend, because when you're going through it, I don't Mm -hmm. really like seeing you like that. I don't really like dealing with you when you're going through that. So, you know, you handle your thing, you get through it. And then when you're back good and you want to go have fun, cool, come on back. You know, so we don't let each other see the different layers of who we are. I don't think.
1: And the the sad part about women is we are two times more likely to develop depression than men, two times more likely because of the pressures of being a woman and the postpartum, you know, birthing kids, going through life changes, all the pressures of when are you getting married? When are you having kids? And the Mm -hmm. pressures we create within ourselves as women, we're two times more likely to have depression. So just imagine how that feels when you're going through something and you look around and people are cutting you off because you're in a state of vulnerability where you need the most support.
0: Yes. I have been there. I am there now. (laughs) I understand how that feels because you know, there's an expectation of women to be a certain way. It's an expectation for us to be able to juggle everything that's coming at us, our homes, our careers, our relationships. And if we drop the ball in one area, no one gives us any grace to say that's okay. You know, they just feel like Well, no, your mom was able to carry all of this, but no, not in reality. She really was not able to do all of that. Like she was dropping balls everywhere around her as well, and no Mm -hmm. one ever stopped to say, like, "Can I help you?" or "Are you okay?" or "What's really going on?" Like, we just put on this face, like we're good, and we try to pick them back up when we can and keep it moving without ever having someone just truly say, I got you in this moment, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And validate how each other, each other feels about things, because I might not understand what my friend is going through, but I can't tell her how she feels is wrong. Yes. You know, I have to allow her to have her emotional um or emotions behind the situation regardless if I agree with it or not, it's that unconditional support that I feel like we're missing. So then when you put the, I guess I don't want to say competition, but almost between women and -hmm. then you say, okay, well now go to therapy and talk to somebody about it. Well, I couldn't trust my girlfriends or my boyfriend or my family. So I'm going to go talk to a stranger. No, thanks. You know? So we're just creating these barriers that cause, us to stay in the same position and not heal and move forward.
0: What do you think about the angry black woman and how that shows up in society?
1: You know, this is such a frustrating topic for me because I think even when we have a valid reason to be upset, we are seeing more aggressive than what we are because the world wasn't meant to hear our voice. Although mm-hmm. we carried the back of America, you know, we carried America on our backs. We took care of the children, the households, everything. But we weren't meant to be heard. We were the last to get approved to vote. We were the last to get approved to get a college education. So anytime we step up and make ourselves heard, we are seen as overly aggressive or I had a friend, he um is married to um a white male and he asked him, he said, Well why are black women so extra? They do all that with their hands and their necks. Like why are they so loud? And it's like we're not even we're just being ourselves. Yeah. But you didn't want to hear us in the first place. You know So it's such a difficult conversation because we are allowed to show when we're upset. But because we are Black women, I feel like it's taken out of context.
0: See, I don't know if we're really allowed to show when we're upset. Like I Mm -mm. was thinking about yesterday. Serena, we're recording this on Sunday. So Serena played her match on yesterday, Saturday. And I watched the match and I watched everything go down in real time. And when she got her first warning, the warning came from her coach coaching, but she did not see him actually do the coaching pieces. She got the warning for. And so her anger started to go up more and more when she realized that the umpire was basically saying you're cheating, like he's coaching you from up top and you're taking his direction. So you're cheating. And so her frustration came from that. And then she got another fine for breaking her racket because she had a bad serving set. And then the final draw after, again, she kept going back to their original issue of You insinuated that I am cheating and I am not a cheater. I would rather lose this game than to cheat. And she called him a thief. And because he was not secure in his masculinity, he took that to the 100th degree and he knew what he was doing. He knew if he gave her another warning, she was going to lose a game. And he knew that in doing that, she was not going to win the match. Now, granted, she wasn't going to win the match anyway yesterday because the other girl just played far, far better than she did. But the fact still remained that he stole that game from her and it was not fair to her. And the amount of passion and anger that she had, you can see it on her face like she was trying to hold back her tears. She was trying to hold back all of her emotion. And she just couldn't to a certain extent. She just could not do it because she is still a human being. And it just Mm -hmm. reminded me that. It does not matter how far we rise, you know, in America, it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter how much popularity we have it. We are still black people in America and she is still a black woman, In America, at the top of her game, but she still was disrespected in front of millions and millions of people for simply showing that she's human and simply showing that you did not treat me right and you need to apologize because you're saying that I have cheated and I haven't. But she came off, I feel like, even with the commentating that was happening in the background, they. We're on her side to a certain extent, but then you could still hear that, well, maybe other men don't do it quite to this point. Or once she realized she had warning, she should have been able to restrain herself. No, allow her to be human, allow her to show her emotions. And I think it was a combination of that match along with them giving her such a hard time about what she wore when they tried to take the cat suit away from her. So she had to change that. It's just a thing that all throughout her career, it has always been something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how black women feel. It doesn't matter what we do. It's always something. We can never just be who we are.
1: Never. I think one morning I walked into work um, and I was just... Tired from the weekend, so I just walked into work, into the meeting. I didn't say anything. And when my coworker said, "Well, what's wrong with you today?" I said, "Nothing. I'm just chilling." She's like, "Oh, you you look like you're salty about something. Are you mad about something? Did somebody make you mad?" I'm like, "I can't even just be quiet without <laughs> them thinking my facial expression is me." being mad and so that agitated me but then I couldn't show that because they already think I'm mad yes you know just by not doing anything and it's like geez can I breathe without you thinking I'm upset about something but I felt Serena so much yesterday because when she was talking to him she said I rather lose than cheat I have a daughter mm-hmm. I take pride in what I do take pride in my reactions. And I am like that too, especially that I have a daughter. I have tried so hard to make sure I do things better and be a better person. So when someone assumes something about me or tries to paint me in the light, that makes me upset. So I, I agree with what you're saying. We should be allowed to have that emotion, but we're not necessarily allowed to show it because it's going to get blown out of proportion. Um. So I like what she said. During her after interview, she said, it may not have went well for me today, but because I stood up today and didn't take it, I think for future women, hopefully for somebody else, it will be better. Yes.
0: And I think that that's something that we just have to learn to accept that we are going to go through things and how we react to those things that we go through sets the tone for how people will interact with Black women going forward, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Because in that moment, Serena did not have to make the crowd stop booing. She didn't have to give Naomi her credit to the extent that she did. But I think that was a great moment for her to show because Naomi is a woman of color as well. That in Mm -hmm. those moments, I get... I get to choose to stand up and to show the world that I am literally like my sister's keeper. I am not going to let you guys steal this moment away from her because of what happened to me. And that was very commendable to me that she did that and that she hugged her. Because she understood that Naomi looked at her as her mentor and as Someone that she has been watching for years and years and she wanted to make sure that she did not steal her light. And I think that is so important as women to understand that you can support each other. You can have each other's backs. You can do whatever you need to do for the next woman without dimming your own light. Like you can let her shine as well.
1: Right. It's enough light for everybody. Everyone has a purpose. And I think it goes back to what you were saying, what we were taught from our mothers and grandmothers that crab, what is it? Crabs in a barrel mentality. Mm -hmm. Like we all can't get out of the barrel at the same time. Somebody has to be pushing someone down. But Serena did lead by example by even being on the stage with her when she won, I thought was just so courageous she stood up for herself and then she stood beside her fellow woman as she won. And that was just so amazing to me because that's something we are all still working on supporting each other. I look at you and me and like Jada D Mm -hmm. all doing different things in different avenues. And Jada's always sharing stuff that we're doing or posting something or being supportive. And I just love how we can all shine right now and support each other because rewind even five years ago I don't recall seeing that
0: you know no for me I have decided that I am going to make an effort to put my own people on you know it's like it's times in my life where I have reached out for help from other people of color and said you know this is what I got going on and this is what I'm doing and they're like great you know just let me know um, how I can help. And then when I go reach out to them for that help, I may not get a response back or I can tell they're ducking and dodging me. And i like, mm-hmm. you talked all of this stuff, talking about you wanted to help me, but now you don't want to because of whatever your reasoning may be. And so I just vowed to myself, like, I am not going to be that person. I want to be the person that I wish I had growing up. And I had a lot of great mentors and a lot of great people that helped me out. Don't get me wrong, but there have been plenty of times where I have reached out and people just have not wanted to help me for whatever reason. So I think we are showing that as women who we had a good time together back in the day, you know what I'm saying?
1: Yes, a lot of fun, a lot of
0: fun. (laughs) We had fun, but now, you know, we all are doing our own things. In our own lanes, and I can look at you and say, I see you, I see what you're trying to do. And if I can be of help or a service to you, then I'm here to do that, you know?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so important just to even having someone to lean on is a form of taking care of your mental health. That social support is such a huge part of recovery in general, you know, Ooh. for your mental health, for your well being. I think it's so important to have people to support you because it just feels good and it feeds your spirit. It's a sense of gratitude, giving back, all these things that make you feel good. I'd rather hold on to that and support my fellow sisters than hold on to bitterness and anger and resentment, which in the end is going to hinder me. I think I'm stunting their growth when I'm really stunting myself.
0: hmm How do you think we can change this mentality going forward? Like, what are some key things that you've noticed when you've had discussions with other people? Are there any patterns that come up that you think if we were more aware of them, we could stop that from happening in the future?
1: I think if we could work on transparency, that would be good because there's some people that I've gotten to know their story. And it's helpful to me because now I kind of see where they are coming from. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we do stuff because that's how we survived growing up. You know, Uh, I had a, a hard time with letting people in because I had to shut myself off as a kid to survive. You know, I had to shut my emotions down and keep moving. I had siblings that were younger than me that I had to help take care of. Um, So I carry those um, same survival skills with me into my adulthood. And sometimes we, if we can take time to sit down and actually listen to a person's story and ask questions and don't be scared to call that out. You know, I have a friend that is always so easily offended. And I always ask her, like, well, what about that offended you? How did that make you feel? And it always goes back to her feeling left out or feeling judged But she grew up in a very judgmental, unsafe environment. Mm. So sometimes it's not so much that other person as it is her projecting some of her childhood stuff that she still needs to work on. And we really have to be forgiving of each other. Forgiveness is so important because we're all human. Like we are in that Cancel everybody's cancel. Cardi B's cancel. nikki Minaj cancel. Like we yeah. want to cancel everybody <laughs> that says one or does one thing wrong. And I'm like, who are they supposed to be, Jesus? Nobody? Okay. <laughs> Nobody's perfect. We can't cancel everybody. Every time they, every time they show that they're human, I'm so glad social media wasn't around when we were in college. Girl, okay, we because I would have been canceled too. I think so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they would have be been like she got this podcast now she on here doing all of this stuff but i remember when she posted that video back in the day i'm like thank the thank lord that they didn't have
1: snapchat people instagram be, none of that right people will be coming with receipts yes. Okay. While to get there. <laughs> so we gotta extend that grace to people and i think that can really start changing the culture, which I love our generation because I think we are becoming more of a transparent generation. Yeah. You know, I I was very open, you know, at the forgiveness branch about my story. But even after I had my daughter, I was very open about my um, experience with postpartum anxiety and depression. And that allowed other women who weren't even my friends on Facebook, weren't even in the same state as me saying somebody shared my status or somebody shared my post and it really hit home for them. And it was other black women. And it was just amazing to me um, by me being transparent about what I was going through. It allowed me to touch so many different people. Um, even my videos, I look back on about mindfulness and meditation and how it helped me. Some of my videos have like thou- like a thousand or so views on them, which isn't like um, Instagram famous or anything, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it still got a response. It still touched yeah. somebody the next person, you know, so we're not doing this just to be famous, but we're doing this to heal as a community. Right.
0: Talk to me a little bit more about the mindfulness and the meditation, because I have tried to do the whole meditation thing. And it it doesn't really work for me. I don't know if it's because (laughs) my mind just goes so much. But instead of meditating, what I have tried to do is in the mornings, I will not check my social media. I won't check my phone or any of that for like the first two hours of the day. I will cut that off. And because I commute in the mornings, I will spend the first 30 minutes of my commute just in silence and I just talk to God. And so that's my moment of spending time with Him because I haven't quite gotten into the whole meditation thing yet because when I tried I was like dozing out to sleep I said no girl this ain't gonna work for you you
1: gotta do something else <laughs> this is not for me this is not for me <laughs> but it may be for somebody out there
0: listening so can you talk to uh the mindfulness and the meditation that you've discussed
1: on your videos yes so um Actually, what you're doing is a form of mindfulness. Okay. So meditation is just one form of mindfulness um, activities. Mindfulness is something we all naturally possess, um, but it's more available to us if we practice those things on a regular basis. It's about directly um, controlling your senses and allowing your mind to be stronger than your emotions. Okay. And controlling your responses. So for me, someone with high anxiety and a very reactive personality, meditation really helps me get into my body. But for some people, their mindfulness activity will be those silent car rides or the prayers in the morning or reading a positive article for the day and just really taking time for yourself, setting aside five minutes or it could be 30 minutes, whatever you have. I say if you don't have at least 10 minutes, yourself during the day, then we need to reevaluate your day, right? (laughs) So checking in with yourself for a moment in time to be in the present moment, to kind of let your thoughts pass with no judgment, being kind to yourself and just setting aside that time to be mindful about your intention for the day. So that's mindfulness in a whole. Um, it's about increasing your awareness, but meditation is just one form of it. It's many different types of forms of uh, mindfulness.
0: Are there any other that you have used or that you know have worked pretty successfully with other people besides the meditation?
1: yeah, so like mindfulness of readings like um I start my groups off, I do group therapy and I start that off with a it's called a daily meditation book or you know, like the daily devotion books where oh, you yeah. read something for the day. I have a um, mindfulness deck by Melody Beattie, um, that got off Amazon. I love her books. And each one has something on the back, like it might say dealing with healthy communication. And you'll pull that card out. And on the back, it says like today I will be assertive, you know, positive affirmations mm-hmm. is really good for women. Um, you know how Mary Jane Paul used to write her affirmations yes. on a sticky note and put them on the mirror. That's a form of mindfulness. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, or for every negative thought, you think like um, I'm not good enough or I'm so stupid. How could I do that? Saying, actually, I am good enough and we all make mistakes and I'm going to learn from this. Creating those alternate positive thoughts for yourself is a form of mindfulness. So reading, meditation, affirmations, um, setting aside time to do a TED talk, anything where you're exercising your brain and retraining your brain, um, creating that healthy mind, healthy life mentality um, is always good. And mindful.org is a good resource for all the different mindfulness um, techniques and the science behind it all.
0: One of the things that I've started to do is to journal. I've always kind of journaled here and there, but I try to make my journaling a little bit more intentional. And -hmm. I try to reflect back on my day. So I'll ask myself three questions every day. And although I may not necessarily write them down, I just try to think about at the end of the day, what did I do well today? Where did I go wrong? And what lesson did I learn? And so it so, helps me. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was going to say that's a mindfulness form too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So I do that because I think it helps to put the day into perspective sometimes because you come in you're like, I have had a horrible day. Nothing went right. It can flow into the next day and then that day can turn into a week if you're not careful and then you just get stuck in this rut. But I think if you can reflect on what did I do well, you know, where did I make the mistake and then what lesson did I learn? It just allows you to kind of free your mind of whatever happened that day and you can write it down, reflect
1: on it and then you can move on. So.
0: Mm -hmm. That mindfulness piece is really big.
1: It is. And it exercises another form of mindfulness, too. Um, I do a lot of mindfulness running. Okay. So keeping dropping into my breath while I'm running and it releases dopamine and journaling, um, like you said, um, creates gratitude for the day. What did I do well? Being able to recognize um, your emotions during the day increases resilience, and then you're kind of acknowledging um what could I have done differently mm-hmm. and investigating that, but also not being judgmental um towards yourself, kind of giving yes. yourself that grace. So it definitely is a mind game. That's all mindfulness is, making that mind stronger than our day-to-day emotions, because this society, we move so fast. We do. Everything is on your phone and we don't take a second to stop and say, hmm, how was my day? How am I truly feeling? And we don't realize how we were truly feeling until you're at home with your spouse and you're in a big argument because you've been holding this tension all (laughs) week long. So mindfulness is just about slowing that body down, slowing the brain down and checking in with yourself on a daily basis.
0: How do you think social media has affected how mindful we are of our own emotions.
1: Oh my goodness. So social media is the worst, although Mm -hmm. I love it um, because we get into that comparison game. I think Mm -hmm. social media has really stolen our gratitude for things um, and our self-esteem. It increases um, jealousy or envy you're comparing yourself to where other people are in the world and that stirs up inside emotions, you know, and then you see people who always seem to be happy. So if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or, you know, just any difficult emotion, you're like, well, what's wrong with me? These people seem to be okay. Yes. I think social media definitely puts us in that comparison game for sure. If that makes if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, it does. How do you think we can combat that, though? What steps do you recommend we take so we don't get so wrapped up in everyone else's lives that we forget about our own lives and what we want to actually accomplish for ourselves?
1: I think social media breaks are so important. I talk to the young people I work with about that. Taking a social media break or only allowing yourself a certain amount of time a day on social media. And that's practice. Even though I I tell my clients to work on that, I'm working on that myself because you sit there mindlessly scrolling through your timeline and you wasted 20 minutes that you could have been doing something productive or engaging with your loved ones around you. It's just a coping mechanism. We get on Facebook because we're too awkward to interact with the people around us. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So oh god, I don't want anybody to talk to me. Let me pull up my Instagram, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: do it. And what I have found is that we do it so much that we really sometimes disrespect the people that we say we love and that we care about. We always say mm-hmm. we value certain things in life, but Where you spend your time and where you spend your money is a true reflection of what you value. And if you're spending your time with your loved ones or your significant other, and although you guys may be in the same space with each other, if you're both knee deep into whatever the latest Instagram tea is and you're scrolling and you're liking and you're texting and you're doing all of that, you're not really spending quality time with the person that you say that you value or the people that you say you value and that you love and you care about. And that just brings us further and further away from what it is that we all truly say that we want to have in life. And that's relationship, whether that's with you know your significant other or your family, we say we want that, but our actions don't necessarily reflect that because we're always in our phones. We're always Paying attention to other people's lives and not as much on our own lives.
1: Hmm. Very much so. And my best friend, I really admire her. She's on a social media break right now, and she does that from time to time because she has two kids. And I said, you know, what made you do it this time? And she said, I realized that it was times I should have been engaged with my boys or with my husband, but I was sitting there on the couch just scrolling through my phone. Mm-hmm. And uh. She made the choice to um, delete the apps for now or deactivate her accounts. And um, I have clients who say that it makes their self-esteem worse when they're on social media all the time. Or even when their spouse is on social media all the time because you feel like then they're not interested in
0: you. Yeah, you feel neglected.
1: Mm-hmm. So social media plays a big part, I think, in our mental health.
0: Let me ask you this: Do you feel like going to therapy and being in the, the therapist or the mental health space? how has that played a part in your own relationships with your friends, with your husband, with your family? Does it allow you to be more tuned in to what's going on with them? so is heightened your awareness and? and help those relationships, or what effect has it had on those?
1: Therapy has really allowed me to learn what I cannot control, who and what I cannot control. Ah. Because I am a planner, you know, I'm the oldest child, I'm a fixer, I'm a leader, but it seemed like the more I try to control, fix, or rescue people or different situations, the more unmanageable my own emotions became Mm -hmm. because I wanted to have control over others' reactions or their experiences. Or even if I planned out something perfectly, I can't control what's going to happen that day. I can't control what the universe has for me. So it's really allowed me to sit back and say, well, what is it in myself that is making this situation hard for me? Because that's all I can control. What is it about me that I can do something about this right now? And if I can't, then I have to just let it go. The power of letting go has been so instrumental in all my relationships and even in my work life. You know, we all have those coworkers that get on our nerves Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I have to stop and say, well, what is it about their behavior or their personality? Because I can't control them. They're going to be who they're going to be. But what is it about that that's bothering me so much? Why can't I let that go and let them be them and have their experience and I be myself and have my own experience? And it just creates such a space where I don't have to be so emotionally involved in everything. You know, it's really allowed me to take my power back, too.
0: Yes. I think that that is very key to understanding that when you go to therapy, that you go for yourself and you go to learn more about yourself. I Mm -hmm. think when I first started thinking about going to therapy, I had this agenda of what I was going to go in and I was going to talk to my therapist about, and it was going to be more so about other people and the things that I feel like that they've done or they didn't do. And what I have realized is that Going to therapy is self-reflection. It is taking uh, account of your actions and regardless of what other people have done or haven't done, you realize that you are in control of how you react to them and how you react to certain situations. So it forces you to do a lot of self-reflection and it forces you to come to terms with certain parts of your personality that you know that this is just who I am at the core of me. But sometimes I've got to learn to let certain things go because I'm a control freak. Like I can talk to that because I am one. So when Mm I feel myself wanting to control a situation, I know that that's just a part of who I am. But now that I recognize that, then it's my responsibility to say, Ashley, you got to let this go. Ashley, you got to allow this person to do whatever they're going to do because they're going to do it anyway, regardless of how you feel. So you got to take a step back and pay attention to your own mental health and see is it, you know, this isn't really worth you going down this rabbit hole of trying to fix everything and be in control of everything. Let it go. And it has allowed me to live a more, Um, stress-free life.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, because a lot of the stress we put on ourselves and um, wanting to be involved in everything or not knowing, like you said, getting out of that rabbit hole, not allowing yourself to go down that. Because sometimes it's just second nature. I think it's how we're wired Mm -hmm. as women, especially black women. Can't depend on nobody but ourselves. So what we do is we go in and try to fix and control everything. And then the next thing we know, we're the ones spiraling out of control. Yep. I definitely think too. It's important for people to realize that your therapist is not a psychic. <laughs> they cannot, <laughs> they cannot fix you. You know, therapists. We are really just there to plant seeds. I cannot control when that seed grows. Uh, yeah. I give you the tools. I plant that seed, and that seed might not grow until six months. You know, yes. out of treatment. Yes, that is the hardest because- thing.
0: That is the hardest mm-hmm. thing. Is someone who goes to therapy is that sometimes I am faced with situations where I know how I should handle it, right? Like I didn't pay my money for somebody to tell me, (laughs) this is how you should handle this situation. But because I have been in this condition of doing something the same way for years, you know, I may have been doing something or handling situations for 10, 15 years at this point in my life. I had to understand that your behavior is not going to change overnight. You got to continue to work and to exercise that new muscle and let it take over, but it's not going to happen right now. Like if you make a mistake and you didn't handle that situation the way that you absolutely know you should have, you got to be woman enough to come back and say, you know, I didn't handle this in the best way. But to give myself some grace and to understand that what I'm learning in therapy is going to take time to be implemented and executed in my life.
1: Mm -hmm. And I definitely tell my patients to talk to themselves like a five-year-old kid in their head. And they always laugh, but (laughs) I say, you know, if a five-year-old kid fell off a bike, what would you say? It's okay. Uh Get back up. You can do this. But if we make one mistake, we're like, Oh, so stupid i know better Uh and we just beat ourselves up so it's very important to talk to ourselves like we would talk to a five-year-old kid who was learning how to ride a bike because that's exactly what we're doing and just like that five-year-old kid who will turn into that 10-year-old kid and be zooming down the street on their bike Mm. we too are gonna get to that point but we have to allow ourselves to go through the process change is uncomfortable it is and we have to allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and stumble on our journey to get to where we're trying to go, you know? Do you watch Insecure? Girl, I was going to bring up Molly in her therapy session. <laughs> when you said
0: that, that's <laughs> exactly <definitely laughs> what I thought about because I've been Molly before, you know. I was sitting up there and coming in here for my my session and I'm talking and then I slip up and say, you know, whatever it is. And she's looking at me like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> we ain't <laughs>
0: Who is this person?
1: <laughs> oh, that is so me. Oh, Molly so me. last
0: week. She did. How did she not tell her therapist about DRO? That just completely threw me off. But
1: mm-hmm. purposely leaving out details. Yes, and that's what I think a moment of transparency. You know, marriage uh, therapy has been so vital for us because you know it's been times that i went in there and i'm ready to say everything that my husband has done Mm -hmm. and my therapist's like well what did you say and i'm like huh what what did i say (laughs) right oh and i'm like oh dang (laughs) i'm not trying to tell that part (laughs) i'm just like molly
0: you got to understand i think when you start to go to therapy there is going to be a lot of honesty that you're going to have to to have with yourself and to have with them if you truly want to make change in your life. Like You have to be honest yeah. with them about the good, the bad and the ugly, because if you don't tell them certain things, they can't fully help you. And right. It's a beautiful thing when you are transparent and you are honest with them and they can truly give you the tools to maneuver in this world better and to become a more healthy you. And I think that's the part that we got to talk more about is people who are in the mental health field and people who have gone to therapy is that it's so freeing when you go to therapy and you have those conversations And you have that person that is solely there to listen to what you have going on. Like that is their job is to listen to you and help you navigate through whatever issues that you have. And we shouldn't see it as as such a taboo thing. Mm -hmm.
1: And it's a person that has unbiased, you know, judgment when it comes to you. Their job is to help you navigate how you're going to get through your current problem or issue or relationship. It's not to judge you or tell you what they think you should do It's to help you make your own decisions and feel really empowered. It's so empowering. Um, I love seeing my clients from day one to day 60. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, what a change when they put in that work and show up to the sessions. And I think for me, When we're talking about Molly being dishonest, my first, very, very, very first therapist, I was like 18 or 19. I was honest with her up until a point when she asked me about, how's your relationship with your mom and your dad? I was like, oh, fine. It's fine. Mm -hmm. And I could feel my whole body getting hot. And I'm sweating because this is so uncomfortable because you're hitting right on my issues. And then I never went back. Yeah. Until my stuff caught up with me again the next semester in college. And then I really had to start to get honest, not only with my therapist, but with myself. And that's when change started to happen. Honesty is such a big key to change, you know?
0: It is. You have to be honest that you're not perfect and that you go through things and that experiences that you've had in your life shape who you are. But if you want to take control over your mind and over your life moving forward, you've got to be willing to unpack and uncover some of those dirty parts of you that you don't want anybody to know. And I think going to therapy is a safe space for you to be able to do that. And it just allows you to let go of some of those things. It's like you just can take it for what it is, is a lesson learned. And you just don't hold on to some of it for so long that it starts to eat away at you and, and make you um, a not so pleasant person or someone who's always walking around mad and angry at the world. You know, it's an outlet mm-hmm. for you when you go to therapy to be able to let some of that stuff go and learn how to, to cope and how to deal with it. So it doesn't your issues don't become who you are.
1: Mm hmm. And I think um, what you're doing now, like doing this podcast over this topic, is what's going to help change that taboo. Um, the mental health thing I did in Chattanooga or going to West High School in Knoxville. Those kids were more interested <laughs> in learning about mental health. They were high school seniors. And my heart was just so full. So I see the more we reach out and talk about it and make it normal. And release some of that stigma around mental health, the more it's going to become normal, the less taboo it's going to be in our community. Because I know, um, you know, white people who can talk all day um, about their therapists, and, you know, little Johnny's going to go see a therapist. But, yeah. you know, we talk about it in our community. And I still have aunties that will say, ain't nothing wrong with that boy. He just uh, don't listen. I'm like, okay, yeah. no, there's clearly something wrong. Yeah. He just see, he been going to church. I'm like, okay.
0: They think we can pray so that- certain things away. And I'm like, okay, I understand that I have to go to God for mm-hmm. certain things. But he also gave me free will. And he gave me common sense to know that I may need to have a conversation with someone else. I remember being terrified, terrified to tell my parents that I was going to therapy. I think I went to therapy for two months before I sat down and told them that I was going to therapy because I had always heard, you know, people who go see a therapist or counselor, a psychologist or whoever, you know, they're crazy. Something's wrong with them. And that was the first thing they said. They're like, are, are you OK? Is anything you know, going on with you that you need to tell us about? And when I made the decision to go to therapy, I didn't even have anything going on really at that time. There was no episode or incident that was going on in my life. God literally told me it's time for you to go to therapy. It was just like mm-hmm. he told me I did my search. I called the therapist. And I think the next week I was mm-hmm. in there seeing her. And so it was just him talking to me and telling me to move. And that's the reason why I went. But the, the aftermath of me telling my parents that I've gone to therapy and that I'm in therapy has been amazing. And the things that I'm learning from myself, it flows into them as well, you know, because some of my behaviors I've picked up from them because they're my parents. I have learned from them. So When I'm able to do some self-reflection and go back and say, hey, y'all, I think we should talk about this, or I think we need to look more at this, or this is what I'm seeing in myself that I'm doing. What do you think? Now, both of them have made some strides on their own and are a lot more open to having certain conversations with me. And our relationships are even more close than they were before, because now there's Um, that safe space for them to be a little bit more vulnerable with me is my parents. And I can see them more so as individual people and not just people who raise me, you know? so
1: Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. I love that.
0: Well, I think we have had an amazing conversation today. I hope I can have you on again. We can dive deeper into some other topics. But I do appreciate you being on today, Brittany. And um, can you tell people where they can find out more information about you or where they can hit you up on your social media platforms?
1: Yes. Okay. so um, I guess my social media platforms is, of course, Brittany Taylor on Facebook. You can add me as a friend, message me about any questions about mental health. I love that kind of stuff. Right now my Instagram is Vitamin B12 but I'm looking to start my own blog oh, or podcast. Yeah, so I'm thinking I'm going to change the name soon but right now it's Vitamin B12 and I try to post mindfulness stuff here and there but I think I'm going to change the direction in a minute. Okay. Um but yeah, so those are the two social media platforms I have at the moment. Um, and then I always tell people to check into mindful dot org It's one of my favorite websites because you can use that search bar and search anger, anxiety, friendships, motherhood. You can search anything it will pull up all these great articles on um what you're going through and give you different steps on how to um get through the situation or retrain your brain or your emotions and how to deal. So it's just a good free resource. Everything on the website is free. Um, So yeah, more to come. I would love to come back and talk about other mental health topics and hopefully you can help me to get my stuff off the ground because you are doing your thing. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Miss Sisternomics
0: Thanks for checking out this week's show To keep up with me, check me out on Facebook At Miss Sisternomics On Instagram at Miss.Systernomics And on the website where you can ask questions
1: MissSysternomics.com Until next time